Welcome into the Emaw Online podcast. Mason Voth, Alec Bussey with you from Emaw Online over at Rivals. Um, I, I, I'm aware that I'm wearing a, uh, if you're listening to this, you can see what I'm wearing, uh, but I'll just address it. Yes, I am wearing uh, my hoodie with the power cat on it because, you know, at the end of the day, like uh, I can be objective, but also still love the place that I went to school at. Gave me a great education, gave me my Ooh. wife, uh, gave me a lot of good things. Uh, especially like good memories. There we go. Isle, um, perfect for for them. Go Illini. A little um, retro action with it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hide from it after a game like that because when you're from the state of Kansas, um, unless you're in the the minority of people that are for whatever reason Wichita State fans, um, you're either a cat or a Jayhawk, and it's kind of nice when you're able to to one up the other side. So. Uh, unapologetic about being a K-State alum and appreciating what my school did last night. But also, uh, as we go through this, I will put on my hat that says uh, I'm objective and I'm covering K-State. So let's dive into that. Uh, What a game last night. 83-82 ends up being the final score. We have to go to overtime uh, for it to be fully decided. And once KU got that lead late in the game, um, in the second half, they finally came back and they got over the hump. It just, I mean, to me, just based off of seeing this game so many times over however many years of life, um, it felt like KU was going to go on to win it. It also doesn't help the fact that, yet again, K-State has a double-digit lead in the first half, similar to last year against Kansas. And the Jayhawks were able to come back in the second half. And once they came back, they stayed on top. Uh, but last night, that was not the case. K-State was able to um, do enough to, to keep fighting and put themselves in a position to be right there. And each team benefited from some uncharacteristic or, or like uh, untimely misses and bad plays. Uh, I mean, Kansas is fortunate that Keontae Johnson misses a layup on the other end, a couple of poorly executed fast breaks. Marquise Noel missed a wide-open three that probably would have won K-State the game. And on the other end, Grady Dick doesn't shoot the ball very well last night, one of eight from three. And Jalen Wilson, he hit he hit one dagger three, but Bill Self called a timeout beforehand, and then he couldn't get some of the other shots to go, and, and K-State's defense made it tough on the Jayhawks on their final possessions. So uh, both teams, I mean, they can have gripes and they can be frustrated, but um, that game last night could have gone either way and and everything kind of – you know, even things out and K-State was able to, to pull off a pretty big victory. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously an incredible game. Um, I think you and I felt similarly about it. I remember saying to you, it's about like 10 minutes or whatever, seven minutes left, maybe in the second half. Man, if Kansas gets the lead, I feel like K-State might not get it back. And obviously Kansas did get the lead and they didn't really take it for very long. I mean, they only led for four and a half, 440 of the game. Um, and a game that lasted 45 minutes in total. So K-State obviously led for most of the game on Tuesday night. But, yeah, once Kansas took the lead, it kind of just felt like every game that Kansas has played really in the Big 12 this season, when you think back to the game scripts that they had against Oklahoma, against Oklahoma State, against Texas Tech, like those are all games that, you know, they played really close and maybe they didn't deserve to win all those, but it's Kansas and they won, just like Kansas always seems to do. But uh, things obviously went a little bit different last night in Manhattan. And I think the crowd obviously had a big impact on the outcome of that game. I know Coach Self said after afterwards that he thought the crowd was awesome. Jalen Wilson said the same thing, that playing in Bramlage is always tough. And 
you know, Mason, I haven't been able to be at Bramlage before the season for any games, but um, Jalen Wilson said that, you know, it's always tough to come in to Bramlage and win. But from my impression, like last night was at a different level for this game. And, you know, I was really impressed with what the crowd was able to do and um, the noise that they were making. It felt like it was constant noise, except in the second half when like neither team could score because each team had like stretches where they went one of seven, one of eight uh, from the field. But I thought it was an awesome environment. I thought it's a huge one for Kansas State, in my opinion. I mean, it's the biggest one that they've had on the resume to date, and that includes some other really marquee ones over Texas and Baylor. But this is one that you're really going to be able to hang your hat on come the end of the year because even if Kansas doesn't end up winning um, the rights to a number one seed or whatever, um, I still think Kansas is going to end up being in that position to be one of the best teams in the country heading into the NCAA tournament. And to have that win is a big, big deal for K-State. Yeah, I mean, well, let's let's address the crowd first before we dive into to some of the serious game stuff because um, I, I talked about it last week after the Oklahoma State game that it felt like it was getting closer and, and the push was there to to get close to to Bramlage feeling like the octagon of doom again. Um, some people wanted to, to to say it was back after the Oklahoma State game. Um, it, it was really good for Oklahoma State and it was one of the best non KU crowds that Bramlage had seen since, I mean, the, the 2019 game against Oklahoma to, to win the Big 12. But th- the game last night, like, that was an all-new level. And, I mean, in, in my life now, I've been to uh, – been that was my sixth K-State KU game in Bramlage, um, all four when I was in school, then last year's, and then this year's. Um, I, I can't speak for, you know, some of those games prior. I mean, 08 was an insane level. Um, and then 2011, the, the, the win K-State's able to get when off on Valentine's Day. And even the 2010 game that ends up in overtime um, that K-State ends up losing by a bucket. Like, I'm sure those were great. But last night, that was the first time that I'd ever been in a building where the sound, and I, I don't know how, how you feel about it, but when the, the final buzzer went off, I felt like that's when it was at its loudest or, you know, in that stretch of the loose ball. And it, to me, got so loud to where, like, you know, all throughout the night, it was obviously loud. And they, you're hearing, like, it was tough to hear people talk. But at that moment, like, it shot to a brand new level. And, like, my hearing went fuzzy. It was, like, one of those deals where, like, if you're listening to something that's overmodulated and peaking and, like, headphones, like, it just kind of gets to a level where the, the audio acts so funny and it goes out. That's that's what my ears were like after that game last night in that moment. And and I think that that was uh, significant. And I think Jerome Tang sending the, the whole message about, hey, you know, don't show up out of hate for KU, show up out of out of love for K-State. I think I think that was going to happen regardless of him sending that message. Like I, I've been saying this all season. One of the things that's different about K-State basketball right now is it's not just the fact that people love K-State because that's always going to be there. But K-Staters love this staff and love this team again. And, you know, they, they loved, like, Dean, Barry, and Cam and those guys. But there were people that were still really uneasy about Bruce Weber and could never really fully support him in that moment. But with this, with this staff and this team, like, everybody's all in on it. And um, I, I think that's, that's why we were going to see a good crowd regardless. And then Jerome Tang was pushing that message as well. And I, I get what he's trying to do, but in each rivalry, like there has to be some hate there, you know, like you can, you can love your, your side as much as you want, 
There also needs to be some hate to get that passion. And it's not hate just for the sake of hate. But I, I had this conversation with, with my dad earlier today. And I said, it's not out of the, the hate for, like, just hate for KU, why people hate them. It's because K-State people are so prideful and love their school so much that they don't like the way they get treated 364 days a year by Kansas fans. And so when you can get that game, like they did last night in Bramlage, it's significant where you are the one, you're the school in the state that gets to puff your chest out. And not only are you always proud of where you went to school or who you support, but they have come through and they've proven it for you. And so the reason why there is hate for Kansas is because there's overwhelming love and pride for Kansas State. And I think that's something that's important for people to, to realize in all of this. And uh, I just, it, it was, it was a great environment last night. So everybody that was there deserves props uh, and, and everybody else that is immediately hopped on the wagon with Jerome Tang. And, and since he joined in for, for K-State, like everybody deserves credit because K-State basketball, I, I knew that Jerome Tang could be a guy that got it back in the right spot, but I didn't expect him to be this good on the court this quickly. And I certainly didn't expect fans to buy in this easily and this fast and those are all significant things when it comes down to Jerome Tang trying to turn Kansas State uh, into not just a team that can pop up and win the Big 12 occasionally but turning it into something consistent like what they were able to do in Waco now that was for different reasons it's not like they have the same level of fan support like there's no reason why K-State can't be a better job than Baylor like right now people would say it's Baylor on the outside but Jerome Tang, like K-State has more resources and opportunities with the fact that you've got a bigger fan base and like can get better support than what they get in Waco. So um, it, it's it's all happening really fast. And last night was a really great showcase of that. Yeah, I think the last night's game was just a really – last night's game felt like an arrival moment for K-State, in my opinion. Like I know a lot of people – and I said this to you after the game last night and I said it to Gabe as well – that and I wouldn't have made this argument, but you could almost have argued that the win at Texas was almost a little bit fluky because Texas um, allowed you to score 116 points. And then you could have argued that the same kind of thing happened at Baylor because you scored 97 points. Like to be able to put up those kind of numbers on the road in the Big 12 is really rare and it's kind of ridiculous. And it's probably something that I think both of us would expect isn't really replicated again for a really long time um, under Jerome Tang or really any head coach at K-State. But last night's game against Kansas was an arrival moment more so because it's Kansas and also the fact that like Kansas is the program that everyone kind of circles, not just in the Big 12, but kind of nationally as the gold standard of college basketball. And if you can beat Kansas, like then you're at a really high level. And obviously this K-State team has earned a top 25 ranking. Um, They've beaten really good teams. And I think last night, you know, beating Kansas just kind of proves like those wins in Texas weren't flukes and that this team is actually really good and they continue to get better and they've continued to find new ways to win basketball games um, throughout the year. I mean, in Texas, they wouldn't have won those two games if Marquise Noel didn't play well. I mean, think back to the way they played against TCU and Marquise Noel plays poorly, Keontae Johnson plays poorly, and they basically get run out of the gym against a quality TCU team. But against Kansas last night, I mean, KU did a really good job of taking away Marquise Noel's ability to score by putting Kevin Culler, Jalen Wilson on him at various times. 
of the game and took away his ability to get to the paint. Okay, well, then someone else stepped up. And by golly, it was Desi Sills, who scores a season-high 24 points, um, one shy of his career-high of 25, which I think came um, in his time in Arkansas Little Rock. I could be wrong there. Um, but, yeah, like you put all those things together, and it just felt like a big arrival moment for drum tang to be able to have the court rushed and then to be able to hop up on a scorer's table. And he said afterwards that he did it because he was really upset that another one of the FKU chants was starting um, again on the court. And, you know, I don't want to dive too much into it because I don't know all the history of it as someone who's just kind of new to the K state area and the rivalry between the two programs. But there's a real like nastiness between these two fan bases that is almost a little bit unique like they, it, there, it, there's always jabs being thrown from one side or the other side, and to me, it's always really funny because, like, it's the same argument being made for the different sports, right? Like, I think Kansas fans argue the same thing for basketball as K State fans argue for football, and it's just really funny and ironic to me that that's how it goes. But you know, fans don't always live in reality. Like, that's just kind of how sports work. That's particularly how college sports work. Um, but it to be able to celebrate it the way they did, and to be able to hop up on a scorer's table and say. You know, like this isn't about who we beat. This is about us. This is about our win, not their loss. And starting a big KSU chant with the thousands of people that were on the court and in Bramlage last night celebrating the win and the minutes after. And, you know, them being able to say at the end, like, don't don't rush the floor anymore. Like this is expected. We are going to continue to beat these kind of opponents. And just to talk on my own experience, like covering Illinois, like that was a very similar kind of moment that Illinois had under Brad Underwood where they rushed the floor in 2019 against Michigan state um, when they upset the top 10 ranked Spartans. And after the game, like they were bad that year, they lost 21 games the most in program history. The next year they beat a top five Michigan team right after Michigan had won in Maui and no one rushed the floor. And everyone was like, well, why didn't they rush the floor? And you get up on that podium afterwards and you hear Brad Underwood, you hear Iowa Desumu talk about how, you know, this is the expectation like we're expected to win these kind of games. And, you know, it, it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to like really kind of like fulfill that. And now K-State has one of those wins. And if they play a top 10 Texas team, if they maintain that or a top 10 Iowa State team, like it's not going to be acceptable for K-State fans to rush the floor. And I'm like pro rush the floor. It's fun. It's awesome. It's something that I was able to do once or twice in my college career. Um, but it's you're beyond that now if you're K-State. Yeah. And you don't have to. You you won't have to worry about it for those games. I can assure you of that. Well, I mean, you get what I'm saying, though. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, point, like, and last night, case, it's going to protect their home floor. Well, and last night feels feels different and significant to to the, like everything that went on. Like, it's not just a win against Kansas, but that was a program that has been really bad the last three seasons that is having success this year, but you kind of have to confirm that success. Like you said, like someone could look at the win at Texas and say, that's a little fluky. Also like there, that was the first game since their head coach had like officially been fired and all this stuff no, that was going into. Yet. Oh yeah. He had, it. it was the next day that he got fired or two days yeah. later, or whatever, but like they had all this stuff going on. And so you could make the case like, and, and like you said, the scoring in that game was weird, but like, this was this was the time where you could go in against the number two team that runs this league, and like that's an arrival moment. And Jerome Tang, I mean, he he talked about it afterwards. Um, 
I don't know if he mentioned it in, in, in the press conference or if it was in some of the other media availability he did last time. He was on SportsCenter. He was on with the Field of 68 guys. But he said, like, beating KU, that it, it took us a long time to do that in Waco. And it was significant for them when they finally got over the hump and were able to beat Kansas because they are the class of the Big 12. They're one of the, the five, and maybe even more inside of that, greatest basketball programs of all time. So it's significant. I mean, more when, games than anyone. Yeah, it's significant when you can finally slay that beast. And for Jerome Tang to make the statement and do it in game number one against them and also back up kind of his downplaying of the game earlier in the week. Like, that was a significant thing. If you're going to be like that, you're gonna if you're going to take that approach, you have to be willing and ready to back it up whether you win or lose. And they came out, they played great, they won the game, and it makes more sense now because – that does set the tone to where it's not like, oh, this is some great thing, but it's also, all right, we've done this. Like now we expect to beat them on our home floor moving forward. And I think that approach by, by Jerome Tang is, is a different one and it, it could work because it's not been a consistent thing where K-State's able to get KU. I mean, that's, that's why I can, I can count it off the top of my head. It's 08, 11, 14, 15, 19, 2023. Those are the those are the games that K State has beaten KU uh, at home in my lifetime, and you want it to get to a point to where it's not just all those dates seared in the back of your head. It's oh, it's just an, it's just another game against KU. I mean, it's going to be a great crowd. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. But expect to win in those games. And Jerome Tang is is putting that into effect here. I, one other thing that I think helps with how things played out last night is. For the first time in my life, it felt like KU was the team that was shell-shocked at points in that game where they were a little jittery and scared and they didn't know quite what to do. Jalen Wilson was confident because he's played in this game before. Like, he he gets it. But a bunch of the other guys they had to rely upon, they started to blink a little bit. Grady Dick had moments of that. Obviously, Kevin McCuller really struggled in that moment. Now, he's played in Manhattan. He's played in the Big 12 before, but he hasn't played in that rivalry. And he shrunk last night in, in that moment. Um, same thing for a handful of other guys. And at one point, I mean, Bill Self had already used two of his timeouts, his, his patented just walking out there, and he's got the tee ready to go. He wants the timeout. And at one point, like, they did something. I think it was off of a turnover and K-State finishes, and Self is kind of, like, looking at his team. And then he's just like, you know what? Forget it. Like, you're on your own. He waved him off. And it was after Desi picked the bad pass from Jalen Wilson and took it the other way for a layup in the first half. And like that, to me, like that's significant to see that K-State was able to do that to KU. But on the flip side, it felt like, and maybe this is a product of a bunch of guys that have just now been thrown together to make up a roster. So, you you know, you haven't been here your entire career. So there's stuff that maybe feels bigger than what last night was. But I felt like this cast of characters for K-State not too many of them felt like, you know, the moment was too big and they could do a lot of things. And maybe that's why Marquise Noel was was the Wildcat that struggled the most last night out of dudes you can rely upon. Like, he's played in that game before. He knows how much it means. And, and maybe he was a little too overzealous and, and putting too much into it. Whereas everybody else was just like, we're showing up to win another basketball game. And if that's the precedent that you can set moving forward, that's going to be great. Like, you shouldn't care how the players feel about any game as long as they win it. And K-State was able to win last night's game. So 
Um, those are just some of my, my takeaways from the stuff that it has to do with what took place on the floor, but also has more to do with kind of the conversation so surrounding how everything goes. Yeah. I just think that, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, like Grady Dick has had a little bit of a roller coaster right here with his shooting numbers in Big 12 play. And I don't know him off the top of my head. I know he shot it really well against um, Iowa State, but I know he struggled a little bit in another game or two in league play. But for him to go one of eight from the perimeter is very out of character. Um, he's someone who came into the game shooting above 48% from three point land, um, was in the top five, top 10 nationally in percentage there. And it's not like he's not shooting. Uh, a high volume i mean he's shooting over five of them a game close to six of them a game i think and for him to go one of eight that's out of character especially when, like three or four of them were wide open looks that he missed um you know jalen wilson started the game oh of five from the field and then he kind of went on a tear and made um 12 of his next 20 shots but he goes just three of 10 from the three-point line and he's not someone who's an elite three-point shooter right like he shoots about 33 percent on the year um so for him to shoot 30 percent you know that's kind of on brand for him but a couple of those were tough shots. Obviously, the one um, right after the timeout was called where they inbound it with like five seconds left on the shot clock and he just got like kind of turn and shoot it was tough. But, you know, I think Gabe made a really good point last night about Jalen Wilson, and I don't want to turn this into a huge Kansas discussion, but – and you and I obviously had this discussion a lot during the game, but Jalen Wilson is the worst best player Kansas has had in a really long time. And I think it's – I think his – his ability on this Kansas team is a very good reflection of just where college basketball is at in general this entire season. Like he's a very good player, right? But he does not hold a candle to, you know, Ochai or Christian Braun or some of the other great players that Kansas has had. Um, the Morris twins, the Wiggins year, like he doesn't hold a candle at how talented any of those guys were. Um, and, you know, this entire year in college basketball, you look at it, it's like, who's good? Like a lot of times we watch, it's like that team's not that good. And that's kind of how I felt at times last night against Canton or for Kansas. And, um, you know, we've obviously had those times this year for K state, a team that's probably going to be ranked in the top 10 again. Um, if they top 11, I guess you should say at worst, uh, if they beat Texas tech on Saturday, which I don't know how you don't beat Texas tech. They're winless in league play and they got boat raced by Baylor last night in their home gym. So I don't know. I just feel like, KSA took advantage of a lot of mistakes that Kansas made. Um, and really, I feel like Kansas didn't do a good enough job of that. I mean, Cam Carter misses three layups in the first half. Um, KSA misses eight eight free throws or whatever it is, and a few of them are front ends. And, you know, Kansas mm-hmm. just didn't take advantage of some of the mistakes that K-State made, and I think K-State took advantage of those. I mean, just look at, like, points off turnovers. I mean, that's a really good example of it. K-State you know, ends up losing that battle 20-17, to 17, but – early it was like 13 to two or something yeah well i mean you know numerically like everything kind of sets up pretty equal last night we'll, we'll get into that in a second but to what you're saying about um what k-state faced last night and in, in jalen wilson like I, you're right I, I think that uh it, it's just tough right now where um he doesn't he doesn't fit in like i don't know he, he maybe doesn't have the best understanding of how to fit in uh, in the flow of an offense, whereas like last night was impressive what he did, 38 points, and he he showed how he can score and do a lot of things. But uh, when you have that, and then you end up in a situation where um, Grady Dick fouls out, KJ Adams is fouled out, like you're down to very few options, and that's why it became easier for K State to 
to make those plays in overtime to get stops they needed is because it was really only Wilson they had to focus on. Like everybody else was kind of shaky and scared to make a play. Um, and so I think, you know, K-State being able to to go out and, and handle that when they needed to worked out in their favor, and, and they had a, a good enough game plan in place to, I, I guess, kind of shift some things around and make KU do some some things differently. And even if Wilson goes off and gets 38 and and you can still win that game, that's that's impressive. But you talked about some of the numbers in last night's game, and, and we had made a big deal about this because of how lopsided some of these numbers had been in previous games for K-State, especially last week against TCU and Oklahoma State. Um, so you talked about points off turnovers. KU ends up winning that 20-17, to 17, but that's not that crazy. Both teams are dead even in turnovers at 15. Um, so for as choppy as that game was with fouls, it wasn't like a sloppy game by any means because the the turnovers, I mean, only turned it over 15 times in 45 minutes of basketball. Um, that's not that bad. They're dead even in rebounds at 38. Um, K-State ends up pulling down 27 defensive boards, KU 26, and then KU gets one extra offensive rebound. The Jayhawks barely edged out K-State 10 to 8 in second chance points. That's a significant thing that that we've talked about. Like second chance points, we're getting K-State killed. Same for the points off turnovers. Fast break points, it was only 10 to 8 in favor of KU last night, and K-State was dead even with them in points in the paint at 32. So all that kind of goes into what we talked about where KU was a much better matchup for K-State than TCU. Now, KU's got more talent, and KU is the better team than TCU, but when it comes to facing each other, K-State was a better matchup, and that's why on the other end, like for KU, that's why K-State kind of gave them some struggles. Like they're, they're similar in some categories, and, and then we also saw that when it became crunch time, both teams just decided get the ball in the hands of either Keontae Johnson or Jalen Wilson and let them figure it out and, and create the offense for us uh, inside. So pretty impressive how that worked out. Uh, K-State ends up holding the lead for over 35 minutes of the game last night. KU only led for uh, close to four minutes and 40 seconds in the in the ball game. So those are some of the numbers and, and significant to point out what K-State was able to do last night because – that game was dead even, and the difference ends up being that K-State makes one more three than what KU did last night. KU made six of them. K-State made seven. Um, the Jayhawks made one extra shot than K-State, 26-25, uh, to 25 where they made field goals in last night's game. Both teams got up 60 shots. So as dead even of a game as you can have played. Yeah, and I thought that was kind of cool um, that it kind of came down to, and I think Jerome Tang said it really well, it was like, you know, at the end, it just came down to we made one more play than they did or we made one more shot than they did at the yeah. end. It was a really good summation, I think, of the way that game ended and, um, you know, really of the overtime period because I thought K-State kind of had to change what they wanted to do offensively. I mean, in the end of regulation, it turned into trying to isolate Keontae Johnson a lot. And then in the overtime period, it looked like they kind of got back to moving the ball a little bit more and getting better shots around the rim and just attacking the rim more, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was an impressive night. Um, other, other kind of notes before we dive into, to, you know, the, the play by play type stuff and significant moment in the game. Um, KU ends up with three guys that foul out McCuller. That was, I don't think that impacted him at all last night. He was terrible Good defensively. Um, um, and then KJ Adams, that was significant when he got into enough foul trouble to where it started to impact Kansas. And that's the thing like K state, they had to deal with foul trouble early in the game. Like Keontae Johnson sat for a long time with two fouls. 
Um, and, and then they kind of had a dance around it with um, K-State ends up with a plethora of guys that had three or four fouls by the end of the game. So they had to do a little bit more dancing, whereas it felt like KU had guys starting to pick up fouls that fouled out. It was late in the game, and they were coming in a hurry. Like Grady Dick picked up his last three fouls um, in pretty quick succession to each other, um, and, and that was impactful. Really just from the standpoint of Grady Dick did not have a great game last night, you know, by his standards. I mean, he still ends up with 16 points, but a lot of that comes with the free throw line. What it helped was it made things easier on the K-State defense, like I said, because you didn't have to worry about Dick because he can shoot the ball. And even if he's one for eight, like you still don't want him being left wide open. Um, and so it helped them where they only had to really focus on Wilson and and it became impactful there. Um, I 49 total fouls end up getting called in the game. K-State gets tagged for 24 of them. KU gets tagged for 25. So again, dead even in that category. Um, I, both sides can can find gripes about certain fouls that got called in the game, either some phantom fouls or some some calls that you should probably just let go. Um, in particular, I, I'd have to see a better replay of one of them, but there are two fouls that stick out in my mind that I, I don't know that like refs probably should have called on Grady Dick. Like maybe just let that play play on because it didn't have an impact on anything. But um, but all in all, like both teams played played it all pretty equal. So um, a, a good night all around for 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 college basketball in the Big Twelve again. K State fortunately was the team that ended up on top. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, I don't know. Like that was just a really good game. And I thought Jerome Tank said afterwards he summed it up really well when he said something on the lines of. Um, you know, I thought that this was an environment that anyone who plays college basketball and should want to be a part of. And yes, that was a recruiting pitch. It's exactly what it was. ABCs of coaching always be recruiting. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was really cool that we were able to experience it. And I thought it was really cool that K-State got to experience it in that way. And Jerome Tang's first opportunity against a really talented and really good Kansas team to beat him at home uh, and to continue to kind of prove doubters wrong, including myself, someone who had them ranked 10th in the preseason big 12 rankings. And while those rankings were maybe a little bit speculative, I guess you could say maybe at the time, like I feel like, I felt like it was fair. Like you bring in so many new pieces, you bring in a lot of guys from low mid-major programs and you're relying on a Juco transfer to potentially be a starter and all those different things. Right. But uh, you know, you consider all those things, first year head coach but to be able to overcome all of those challenges and all those difficulties and have the success that they're having to this point in the season like it shows that it's not very much of a fluke and like i said last night in the uh video fest break like the culture that he's built and the want to of the players on the team to spend time with each other and be coachable and create a positive environment for everyone to kind of come and spend time in whether that's in the practice facility or inside bramlage during a game day you know, all those things kind of form together to winning basketball games. And, you know, Mason, we're in the recruiting industry and follow that closely. And I said this to you last night at my apartment. I was like, you know, stars obviously matter, but they don't mean everything. Like you still have to be able to establish a culture and you still have to have development. And you still have to have coaching. Like not having stars will guarantee that you don't win, but having stars doesn't guarantee that you will win. You have to take it to the next level. And Jerome Tank's on that in his first year at K-State so far. Yeah, well, one other thing to that, uh, you talk about developing things out, and, and one thing that benefited K-State last night, the one category where things were not even between the two teams was 
KU only ends up with eight points from their bench. K-State ends up with 31. Now, it helps that Desi Sills went off for 24, but the fact that K-State was able to have that guy come off the bench and do that, you also have Ish Masood, who's able to come out there and, and hit two critical threes again. Um, he also dove on the floor at the end of the game. And again, we, we did the research last night. The floor is not exactly even down there. So um, I don't think Ish was out of bounds. I think it was actually was one of, of those parts where the plank was uh, out of place a little bit. So yeah, maybe maybe that was uh, the thing that went down there. But no, it was it was a pretty crazy and, and impressive night. And um, K-State made, made enough plays down the stretch. And the, the last play with the lob to Keontae Johnson was special. But uh, what was, I mean, early on in the game, what, what was the vibe you got? K-State takes a, a, a big first-half lead. Um, I, I've seen enough of these to know they weren't going to run away with that thing. But where, where was your head at, head at and where were you feeling? Well, I mean, I sent a message in our group chat with Gabe at some point late in the second half. I was like, all right, guys, who wins? And you guys both said Kansas, and I said K-State. So yeah. I, I'd like some credit there. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought that it was, I thought it was a really good game. I thought it was a really good environment. And I think that not to continue to beat a dead horse, cause we've already talked about this. I just think that that helped Kansas state get over the hump. And I feel like that that game helped or in that environment kind of pushed them over and it caused some issues for Kansas throughout the game. And especially late in the second half. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm trying to think of, uh, of like how the, the the first half flows and everything, and, and KU starts to cut it down, and they're getting it tight there. We saw Bill Self use his, his timeouts last night. Uh, Jerome Tang did not use his timeouts last night. Uh, he ends up going to overtime with four available timeouts to to be used. What were uh, what what were your thoughts of the way that Jerome Tang managed the game last night? And also, I mean, he had to deal with Keontae Johnson with two fouls early on. Uh, was was there anything from that 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 stood out to you? You know, to be honest with you, I don't feel like I don't feel like he had to call any timeouts. Uh, I mean, when you lead for over 35 minutes of a game or whatever, it ended up being, yeah, over 35 minutes of the game, like you don't generally have a ton of reasons to call a timeout. And I know there was a few times that Kansas took the lead, but it wasn't like K-State was you know, like morbidly unwatchable at those points in time. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. were they played pretty well for most of the game. So I don't really feel like Tang had to call a lot of those timeouts and I think Gabe said afterwards, like you shouldn't be able to take four timeouts to overtime. And I don't know how many K-State actually finished the game with. And I'd have to go back and look at the scorebook for it. But I think they had one left. So the, he, he used three of them in overtime. Yeah, I don't particularly love that to use three timeouts in a five minute time frame. I get it. Like if you have them, you might as well use them. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, take advantage of the rules and use it to your advantage. And I thought he obviously coached a really good game to to call the lob play, I thought was kind of funny. He said afterwards on the field of 68 with Rob Doster and Jeff Goodman that um, he wanted to use self's play against him because obviously that's something that self has used a lot throughout his career is that kind of lob play. Uh, but it actually wasn't the play coming out of the huddle uh, from what Keontae Johnson said. He put it up to like they wanted to get the ball to Keontae and isolate it. But Keontae said, hey, if Jalen Wilson overplays this, which he overplayed a ton, uh, to Marquise Noel, Keontae said it to Marquise, you know, just throw the lob and we're going to throw it down like we did against Oklahoma State. And that's exactly what happened. So um, that's putting a lot of trust and a lot of faith in your players to allow them to kind of have that secondary read uh, to make a play. And it shows a lot of faith in 
really what you've kind of coached them to do, I think as well, more than anything, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that, that play was special. I think it just kind of continues to show the, the bond and the, the growth that, that those two guys are having together uh, and the, the way that this team has, has been put together. And Marquise Noel did not have his best game last night, um, but he still made an impact. I think he still finished with seven assists in the game, and he has the, the big one. And, and the two buckets that he did get the fall were significant for K-State. They, they were big plays where he was able to strip it and, and end up on the other end. Um, and he did, he did great defensively last night. I mean, uh, Tane talked about it afterwards, how like whatever matchup it was, um, like when he ended up in the post and he had a guy that was a foot and a half taller than him, he was still able to, to find ways to, to make plays and help him get stops. Um, the same type of thing played out. I mean, he was on Grady Dick for, for uh, chunks of the night and the K-State had it working for him there. And so Noel found ways to contribute and everybody's everybody's main man Desi Sills last night like that's one way to to, to put yourself into the hearts of K-Staters forever is a a good game against Kansas his 24 I mean they needed every ounce of what he gave last night and at one point he was I think 12 points and five of five in the game and was just hitting some shots that uh, who knows I I cannot fault Desi Sills for the confidence and I think you need something in a game like that and um, talking about the bench points earlier, like it's helpful that K State has a guy now that can be a fourth scorer. That on any given night, now this is not going to be a nightly thing for Desi Sills, but on any given night, you have four guys that you believe can give you at least 15 points. Um, and when you need somebody, Desi Sills was able to step up last night. So I, I just he he needs a shout out and he needs some credit because I also thought. And we've been seeing this as he gets more and more comfortable. He's he's been around the team longer now because he he didn't get here till October, so it was a late start for him getting acclimated. But I thought last night was the smartest he'd played uh, since he came to K State, and it's been getting better. But his decision making and some of the things that he forced um, in, in games earlier in the year could kind of make you want to pull your hair out and and wonder what the heck he was doing. But last night. He took some shots that typically are ill-advised for him, or I would say, eh, I don't know about that. But they were going down, and, and as long as you're hot, like keep taking them. When it's your night, it's your night. But he also had moments where he would drive into the paint, and when he, in past games he may have thrown up a bad shot or done something silly. He didn't panic. He stopped. He turned and looked and kicked out and was able to reset things. And then Jerome Tang talks about it afterwards where he says, like, in the huddle, I, I said to him, like, what do you want me to draw up for you? Because that's how good they felt about what he was doing last night. And very, you know, a, a very selfless act by Desi Sills. He says, no, no, like, get it back to Keontae. Like, I'll get mine, but, like, let's go back to Keontae. And um, I, I thought last night was an impressive game for Desi Sills, not just in, in the scoring column, but for a lot of different reasons that are going to pay dividends as K-State moves forward this season. Yeah, I thought the way Desi played was huge. Obviously, he scored 24 points, um, was massive, and he certainly took a ton of shots. Not a ton. He certainly took some shots that were ill-advised, whether it was the step-back three in the corner or step-back deep two in yeah. the corner right in front of the Kansas bench or the spot-up um, also in the first half or the pull-up in the second half. Like Those are not good shots, um, and I haven't seen the shot quality stats. Um, I know Gabe's kind of working on a story with, those people from that website um, or that organization to kind of diagnose where K-State's at right now. Uh, he pointed out last night to us as we were walking out that, you know, 
case, I probably didn't win the shot quality margin. And I feel like that's probably a fair suggestion to say um, when you kind of think about Kim Carter smoking a few layups, uh, missing yeah. a bad three, does he capitalizing on shots that he took that maybe weren't the smartest yeah. shots? And, I guess and, and Grady Dick goes one for eight from three. His, his worst shooting game. Open. His worst shooting game of the season to this point, he he had he was one of five from three against Texas Tech. Yeah, so you know all those things kind of considered. Um, yeah, like K State probably didn't deserve to win the shot quality battle, but doesn't matter what those numbers say when the shots go in and the shots don't go in, and that's how it went for K State. They won last night, and Desi Sills obviously came through really clutch. Yeah, and, and I mean it's also worth pointing out like Marquise Noel didn't have a great scoring night, so like they're. And, and that's why this game, I think, is as, as fun of a game as it was and the outcome and everything. Like, it's perfect the way it played out because both sides have equal things that they can point to that said, okay, we got more from this guy than what we're accustomed to, but we also got less from this guy. We had call X not go our way, but call X did, call Y did. Like, all this stuff. Like, that game seriously was as dead even as you could get a basketball game last night. Um, and, and I, I think for a lot of different reasons, it, it worked out in K-State's favor. I mean, it helps to be at home and have that crowd going for you, but also like Jerome Tang's talking about, you know, playing playing with, with love and, and, and showing up out, out of love. Like his team plays with love for each other and in the way that they, they care about their staff, and that's the kind of thing that can kind of help carry you in those moments when KU takes the lead back or – Things are looking a little bleak at various points in the game. But K-State really didn't back down. They didn't blink. And every single guy stepped up and made a play at the end. Like, Jerome, we got a, we ton, got a ton of great stories last night. I mean, you know, Tang talked about um, some some of the other things that went on in the game and, and things that led up to it. But we had Marquise Noel talking about his text messages with Gene Taylor, telling him that, like, Jerome Tang was the guy that stood out to him that he liked as a coach. And then – the other one was his story about Ish Masood, and I thought that was uh, kind of cool to hear. Yeah, I thought the one about Marquise was great. Um, I know Chris, is it Button or Budin? Button? Button. Button, Button um, shared the story on the broadcast as well last night, and that's something that I'm going to include in a future story that I'm going to write here later today that should be up on the website this evening um, about how Marquise sent Gene Taylor a text message saying that he wanted Jerome Tang to be the head coach. I thought that was kind of cool. Um and then I thought it was really funny when I followed up on it and I said, you know, did Gene respond or like what kind of yeah. conversation did you have? And Gene just, you know, thumbs up the message. Like, <laughs> yeah. Not much a response. I don't really know what Gene Taylor's supposed to do. Like his job, his job's not to hire the guy that Marquise Noel wants. His job's to hire who yeah. he thinks the best candidate for the position is um, for the long term. So I thought that was funny. And then I thought the Shark Week. And I want to dive into what Shark Week is. Tang has talked about it a couple times, but he's never gone too into detail about what it's an exactly. A, it's an acronym of, of some kind. I know it's an acronym. I don't know exactly what it stands for, though. From my understanding, it's like their toughest week of off-season practices and training for the season. My guess is it probably has a lot to do with conditioning. But um, he said that they're running suicides, line taps. I don't what what do they what do they call those out in Kansas? They were called suicides growing up. Yeah, we we call them suicides. I don't know if if we're allowed to call them those anymore. Yeah, I didn't know if we that I I didn't know if that was politically correct anymore. Someone called them line tappers when I was older and I was like this is soft. We're not calling them Oh line yeah, tappers. I'm not going to call them line tappers, but that was like the that was the first thing that popped in my head was like uh 
line touches is what I would have called them for like the, the political correct term for suicides, but yeah, there's suicides in Kansas. So if, so if we're coaching like a fourth grade basketball team, what are we calling them? They're suicides. I'm still, I'm still telling the fourth graders it's suicides. Okay. I'm with you there. Um, I guess just like, like, you know, when you go to like, it's a suicide when you go to, uh, a uh, like a, a like a fountain drink station, and you just mix all of them together. Like that was a suicide. I've never, never done heard that. that one. You know, I have mixed certain. What's your favorite sodas to mix together? I don't. I have not done it in uh, a long time since I was probably in like fourth grade. So. Yeah, same. I, I used to do that a little bit, and that's definitely not a behavior I still do. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, I think that Tang told this story about how during Shark Week that Ish Masood was the only player to not dive for the line at the end because they have to make it a certain distance or a certain amount of time down and back or whatever in a certain amount of time. And he was the only player on the team to not dive for it. So he gets on him. And I feel like this is a very good moment to just kind of talk about how much Ish has grown. Think about like the Nebraska game. Um, I don't know how much he played if at all in the Nebraska game. And afterwards and in that kind of week leading up to it, Tang almost publicly challenges ish and says like, you know, he needs to do more to identify what's best for the team, not just himself and help the team win. And it's very clear that ish has done that over the last couple of weeks. He's, and I think the David Gasson injury has probably helped that because it's opened up an opportunity for him to get more minutes, but also, you know, he's turned into a really good role player for K state off the bench. He's hitting a few um, big jumpers from the perimeter. He obviously had one or two of them last night against Kansas. He had a couple against Oklahoma state. He had a couple, um, obviously against Baylor, that were big time as well. So, like, it's just turned into a really valuable piece for K State off the bench. Yeah, and and that's that's a big step for him. I mean, he's shooting forty seven percent from three uh, this year. He's he's only taken about two and a half a, a game, um, but that's still significant uh, for when he gets out there and when you need him. Like, he'll knock him down for you. So. Um, very, very good to see, and it's it's been a, a big boost to what they've done so far this season. So uh, a lot of good stuff that came out of it, and you can see how those and those stories lead to what ends up being put into a K State win last night. Because again, like now, this is this is transcending the part of it being a win against KU to where it turns into a like a an arrival type moment against a number two team in the country. And it's significant for any program to beat a team of that caliber. And K-State did it last night. And I think maybe that's the most important thing to come out of this is that it doesn't feel so much as it being another win against Kansas, but it feels just like what a true big-time victory should feel like uh, in college basketball. Um, obviously, for the fans, like it's it's awesome that it was KU and it still feels really good and it feels you know a little bit better than good. But it's it's big for for this team and, and what they want to do moving forward that they were able to get that because now that sets up um, as you look ahead to what's left. I mean, first off, talking about K State and their positioning with everything else, and we talked about it earlier in the year. Um, K State was in a position to where as long as they went probably seven and eleven uh, or eight and ten they were going to be into the to the NCAA tournament regardless of kind of what happened elsewhere. Well, now that they've got 12 games left in Big 12 play and they're 5 and 1, they're tied for first place with KU and Iowa State. Um, Texas is right there at 4 and 2 and then TCU is either going to be 4 and 2 or 3 and 3 after tonight. And 
in Morgantown. So K-State is in this spot now where you start to think deeper about, okay, how, what, what would their seed be in the NCAA tournament and, and how deep of a run can they make? But first off, like, are they a real challenger to KU in the Big 12 right now? Or is anybody a real challenger to KU in the Big 12 right now? Because it, I'm not saying it happens, and, and I, I don't think it does, but there at least needs to be some conversation a third of the way through conference play about if this thing is for real and if we need to start looking at K-State more so as not just this great story and everything else, but you've got a shot to go grab a conference title this year. Yeah, I don't know if I'm there yet with them being able to win a conference title. I think that they've shown that they're one of the top three, four teams in the league. I feel comfortable saying that. So maybe they're in that conversation right now. Um, I still think Kansas is the best team in the league. And I I know that K-State beat KU last night, and we were having this conversation in my apartment last night. But I still think Kansas is the best team in the conference. And I almost think that last night, like, KU was almost just due for a loss. They had won eight or nine in a row. They were 15-1 and one coming into the game. And that's not to take anything away from K-State. Like, K-State still went and won the game. But at the same time, like, I think Kansas has shown a little bit more than everyone else at this point in the league that they are the best team. And when you have as big of a home court advantage as K-State or as KU does at Allen Fieldhouse, like, you know, you can almost chalk up nine wins right off the get-go. And they've already won in some difficult places like Texas Tech. And I know Texas Tech isn't, like, a really good team. But at the same time, um, Texas Tech has become known as a really difficult place to go and win. And um, they've already beaten some of the better teams as well, whether that's, you know, Iowa State uh, as a team they've beaten at home. And I will say what's working for Kansas State in this idea and this conversation is that K-State's already beaten some of the teams that we would consider to be um, maybe the favorites or the better teams in the Big 12 on the road this year in conference play, whether that's Texas. And, you know, they got blasted last night by Iowa State, and I think that that could maybe be the start to Texas's demise. But also, we've seen Texas kind of fight through some adversity while overcoming a big comeback to TCU. Uh, I think that K State's probably in that top three, four range of the Big Twelve, but I don't know if I'm ready to say that they're a Big Twelve favorite yet. To me, that's still Kansas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think they're a favorite, but um, at some point, like I guess the the thing is, do do we need to start changing the way? We talk about them and it goes from, oh, this is great that they won again. Like this, this is, this is impressive to, um, okay, they should win this game and they need to take care of this game and, and they need to, to, to be locked in. And, and do we need to treat them more so as a team fighting for a conference title than a team that is just trying to put together something really fun and, and, and good in year one of Jerome Tang? Cause I, I mean, I think that's kind of, I mean, I mean it's maybe not fair. Team. Yeah, but like I, you know, at, at some point, like this weekend against Texas Tech, this team has to beat Texas Tech this weekend. You can't come off of the the performance you had against Kansas and everything that you had going for you. You have to go get a home win against Texas Tech, who's playing like the worst team in the league right now. Like, there's no excuse for it. K State has to go out and take care of business tonight. Um, so that that's going to be a significant thing, and that's one of those things where like. It's not just going to be maybe like it would have been earlier in the season where if they lose the Tech at home, you just say, hey, that's one of those things that's going to happen. Now I think it turns into like the kid gloves come off when talking about K-State basketball, and we have to treat them as a, you know, an NCAA tournament team, a team that a lot of people have as like a four seed right now and, and could be a top 10, come ne- 10 team come next week and all this other stuff. Like 
I think that the conversations in, in the grading scale uh, has gotten to the point where it's going to have to be a little bit tougher on K-State moving forward. And that's not a bad thing. Like, that's a good sign for K-State right now. But I, I just – people should probably be prepared for it. And maybe I'm wrong for feeling that way or thinking that's how it should be. But um, that's just one of those things that I'm, I'm interested to see how the conversation starts to move in the uh, the coming days. Yeah, I guess maybe a really good way to phrase it, or at least as I look at their Bart Torvik page right here now, like they're projected to go 11 and 7 in league play with losses at Iowa State, losses at Kansas, Texas Tech, um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and then they're projected to lose the final game of the regular season at West Virginia. I don't think they're going to lose that many games. I don't think they're going 11 yeah. and 7. Like they may drop one or two of them at home. Um, like maybe they lose to Texas at home. Texas, or maybe Iowa lose State. To, yeah. yeah. Like maybe they lose one of those teams at home. And Baylor, like we don't know what Baylor's going to yeah. look like. They're starting to play better now. But I have a hard time believing, and Bart Torvik only has um, Texas Tech as a one-point favorite on the road, and they only have Oklahoma State as a 2.7 favorite and Oklahoma as a 2.4 favorite. So like you put all those things together, and it's like those are obviously very vulnerable games for K-State. But at the same – excuse me. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, like, I think those team's good. Like I, they've shown enough at this point where they're good, and they probably need to be viewed in a certain light of – okay, this team is probably going to be no worse than a six seed in the NCAA tournament. And if they go 11 and seven and finish 23 and eight overall, like they're projected to, you know, that's really good, especially in the country's best conference. Yeah. And I think they're probably going to go better than 11 and seven. Yeah, I think it's realistic and we'll have to see how it ends up playing out for them. Uh, thinking of, of the NCAA tournament now, I mean, it's still a ways ahead. But somebody had an, an interesting tweet last night that was talking about like what's uh, what's a like a, maybe you know the phrasing of it better because you'll remember the tweet. But they were basically talking about like not out of the realm of possibility Final Four scenarios um, of teams that you wouldn't expect there. And I think what the teams were it was like K State, Xavier, Illinois, and uh, who's the other one that ended up on that list? I, I don't remember. Oh, but, uh, you're talking about Greg Waddell's tweet? Yeah. Uh, let me pull it up. Uh, Miami it was the fourth team. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah the, so the phrasing of the tweet was okay. So since we all agree that this college hoop season is the most wide open in the last two decades, what is the most absurd but semi realistic Final Four you could see happening? And someone replied with, um, and he quote tweeted himself and said, Mine are Xavier, Kansas State, Illinois, and Miami. And I mean, I was talking with Jeff Goodman afterwards, uh, just someone that I've been able to develop a good relationship with over the last year and a half in the industry is you know what like what do you think this k-state team can do in the NCAA tournament he was like i think they can win two games um i said oh really like he was like oh you don't think they can i was like no i actually kind of think they could go further he's like really why uh and i said because i think they're gonna have the two best players on the court and most of the games they play in the NCAA tournament he's like yeah that's a good point but i just don't know if the rest of their roster is at a point where in the NCAA tournament that they're going to be able to push them over the hump if Keontae has a bad night or um, if a team's able to limit Marquise so well. And I was like, yeah, I mean, those are obviously fair concerns as well. Um, but yeah, when you look at K-State and you look at some of the success that they've had, I mean, they're getting up to a point where they're top 40 in the country, I think, in both offensive and defensive efficiency numbers. And that's pretty impressive, especially when you're looking at it from a Kempom perspective. There's not very many teams that are in that grouping. Um, you know, Xavier's a team. If you want to dive into the four teams he said, like, I don't, I don't know if you want to or if you don't want to. Um, but Xavier's a team that doesn't play great defense over the course of the season, but it's gotten better. 
And also uh, Xavier, Andy. Xavier is not as battle tested as K State is at this point. Like Xavier, uh, their wins outside of the Centos Center are I, I Cincinnati by three, um, and they like they don't have a ton of great wins on their the top of the big resume. The top of the Big East though is really good. Uh, yeah, I mean they're they are good, but I, they're, like they're they have a win against that. they have a win against. UConn, they have a win against Marquette, um, and I know those are both at home, but still, like those are impressive wins. They get to Paul um, tonight, I think, and then they obviously get Georgetown. So those are two pretty favorable games, and they have to go on the road to play at UConn, and then have yeah. to go on the road to play at Creighton. So that's tough. But like this Creighton team's in a weird spot. Uh, you know, Miami's obviously got a really dynamic backcourt. If they can get Pack and Wong to mm-hmm. play at a high level together, like that's a really good backcourt. But I don't know what else Miami is really working with right now. I haven't had a chance to watch too much of Miami and my alma mater is well drunk half the time they play or they look, they either look like the 96 bulls or they look like the sisters of the poor. I can tell you that, uh, I I'm, I am here for a K state Miami final four matchup, uh, Nigel pack against K state in the final four. That would be, that would be something there. So we need we need K State Miami to happen, and and I say this because not because I think K State is going to the Final Four, but because it is a possibility this year. Because this team it profiles more as being a team similar to, um, I mean this this team is maybe better than the 2018 team for K State that went to the Elite Eight, and they're not as good. They're not anywhere as close to as good as the 2010 team was but they're somewhere in the middle of those two teams. And the one thing we know is just as much as, as people can be skeptical that, oh, well, if you shut down Keontae and Marquise in a game, like who else can step up? Well, now we know like Naquan Tomlin had a 16-point double-double last night and Desi Sills had 24. And they're not going to give you that every single night, but they could give you that at some point. And we also know that K-State has Noel and Johnson who have already put together a, an electric three-game stretch against – Teams that are NCAA tournament teams. I mean, they did it to start conference play. West Virginia probably won't be a tournament team. But then on the road at Texas and at Baylor, they were able to do it and put together something special. Um, they played well against Oklahoma State as well. So they could put this thing together and and, and make some type of run. And, and that's going to make for uh, a fun time as well. So I, that's just more so to talk about the possibilities for this team and kind of what's out there. Um but they've done so much at, at this point in time already that can get you excited and get you to believe that there is a lot of good things uh, still to come for this basketball season. And uh, it sets up really well to, to kind of see what, what the next move is and how everything else is going to work out. Just to continue the conversation here briefly, um, using Bartorvik's similar resumes, um, data points that they have, the 10 teams that are most similar to Kansas State – the only one of them to make it past the round of 32 was 2014 UConn, which ironically won the national oh, championship. No. Oh no, that team! Uh, you don't want to be lumped in with that. Um, I mean, I guess you do the if, they, if they won the title, but none of the other teams made it further than the round of 32. Um, but all the other teams finished with a seed um, inside the top. They were at least a, they were no worse than a top five seed, except for 2014 North Carolina, which was a six seed and 2014 UConn, which was a seven seed. And there was only one team that was a five seed, and that was 2017 Notre Dame. All the other teams were a three four or a yeah. three or a four seed. 
Well, and the one thing K-State has going for them is they're they're playing in the Big 12. Those teams were not. So the Big 12 gives you a little bit of a boost. And, um, yeah, I mean, this this K-State team is is in a position right now. Like, if you told me – I will say – I will say to inspire more confidence in K-State oh, fans no. who I just probably like, oh, no, our hopes and dreams of making a deep tournament run might be over if all of our resumes aren't similar. Yep. Uh, the similar profiles, which this is something I haven't looked at. This is since 2008 – um, there's actually some better history here. Uh, they're similar to 2018 Florida State made it to Elite Eight. Similar to 2008 Western Kentucky made it to the Sweet 16. Um, they're also similar to 2021 Florida State, which made it to the Sweet 16. Uh, the other teams um, listed here, SMU in 2021 did not make the NCAA tournament. And then there's two teams, uh, Florida State in 2020 and Seton Hall in 2020. Obviously, when the tournament didn't happen. Uh, because of COVID, but the average wins is 1.4. Yeah. For some, I, I mean, I, I just, just think it's fun to look at, by the way, it, it, it's interesting. It's all interesting. And I think that the, the thing to, to consider here is like this K state team. If you told me that there were only two options, so say we're, we're playing, let's make a deal uh, with Wayne Brady and we're out there and you, you know, you can, you can either have what's behind door one or door two. And, they tell you, okay, one of these doors holds behind it a Final Four appearance. And behind the other door, it holds a 13 seed over a four seed upset, and you're out in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Those are your only two options. I would not be surprised if that's what like what the case is for this K-State team. Um, like I I just I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if you told me the season ended in either of those ways. Now there, of course, I think there is room for like something in between where it's a second round or a Sweet 16 loss, but those two extreme ends of of the spectrum, um, those those both, I could see a scenario where those play out. Whereas in past years, like with certain teams, you can obviously see the first round loss, but you can't really see a Final Four appearance out of that team. Like uh, K State was a was an eight seed in. 20, 2012, yeah, 2012, they were an eight seed. They beat Southern Miss in the first round, and then they played Syracuse in the second round, number one seed Syracuse. Um, that's not a scenario where you see that team going to the Final Four. Like, that just doesn't – it doesn't add up. But there are other teams where it makes sense and where you can see that happening, and that's, that's the thing that I'm trying to convey here is that um, you can see K-State doing some really good things not just the rest of the way in the regular season, but also come March uh, when that's really important. So just uh, my thoughts there. And uh, we, we've gone over an hour, so we wrap things up. Uh, what are your final thoughts or final messages that you need to get out there uh, before? We'll, we'll talk again on Friday before K-State takes on Texas Tech. I don't have anything. All subscribe right. Subscribe to the website. Yes, go and subscribe to EMA online. Uh, it's less than $10 a month, and you get a ton of great content uh, during and after and before K-State games. Also, uh, everything on recruiting K-State offered uh, the number 16 overall player in the 2024 class for basketball yesterday as well. Um, so we'll, we'll have an update there in the very near future, hopefully that everybody can take in and uh, get your fix of everything K-State going on because it's an exciting time to be, uh, to be a Wildcat and you might as well be kept up to speed with everything going on there. And you can take in the the great writing of one Alec Bussey and uh, Gabe Swartz, uh, who also is 
uh, supplying great stuff. Also, Alec already has five Phil fam- favorites up. So if you want to go and relive K-State's game last night against Kansas, but you don't want to have to sit through uh, two hours plus of a TV broadcast or 33 minutes of Matt Love's ball tape on YouTube. Hey, just, don't do that. Just go just go straight to email online and get yourself uh, Alex five film favorites from last night's win over Kansas uh, because you, you'll be excited. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through it uh, once we're done here, and I'm probably just going to read it over and over again uh, and watch the different moves that uh, Keontae Johnson makes after like made baskets in particular and ones uh, I'm watching the inbound to Desi Sills and he just starts pointing and then his and one that he had in the game he did a, a, an interesting like little and one dance where he starts moving his arms I, he he cracks me up he makes me laugh so uh, I'm I'm all in on that so that we'll, we'll get out of here my dog was whining about wanting to be fed early so I'll probably do that before she starts freaking out anymore and uh We'll reconvene on Friday to talk more cats and plenty of coverage continuing over on EMA online. So for Alec Bussey, I'm Mason Voth, and we'll talk to you again sometime soon.